What happens when two parent coaches, one a Christian and the other an agnostic Jew, sit down to talk about parenting? I'm Dina Thayer. And I'm Kira Dorian. Welcome to Raising Adults, a podcast about future-focused parenting. Well, hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Raising Adults. We have a pretty important episode today. Today, we are talking about consent and how do we teach our children about consent, boundaries, uh, what does it mean to uh, ask for consent? What does it mean to expect to be asked for consent? And how does that translate into how they develop into young adults as they move into dating uh, and just go out into the world? And I think, interestingly, because we both have a boy and a girl, how do you speak to your sons about consent? And how do you speak to your daughters about consent? So, Dina, do you want to start with your why? Yes, I have a huge why. I was actually just telling Kira so that you, our listeners, know, before we started, I was telling her, you know, this has been really interesting for me because I have two teens, and we've talked about this a lot, but neither of them have done really much dating to speak of. And part of that, I actually think, is a testament to good conversations around this, that they know I'm not going to say yes even to starting to hang out with someone more unless I'm really sure it's a good idea. So for me, a lot of this was laying that foundation for positive choices in dating and also I'm going to be really honest here. Part of my why is to invite myself early into their world so they'll invite me in later because I really wanted them to feel safe coming to me about issues of consent and dating and safety and emotional safety and boundaries around this. So early on, we were having that dialogue about it with my why being then I want them to know, hey, it's safe to talk to me about this. So if something does come up when they're actually in the situation, they wouldn't hesitate to chat with me about it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Love that. My why is going to be really liberal and left wing. I feel like we live in a society that's really at a tipping point when it comes to um some of the sexual assault and sexual harassment issues that are coming to the foreground. And especially as a female raising a daughter, uh, it was really important to me to protect her, to empower her, to teach her what is actually okay and help unveil. And I mean, we're just just beginning this, I want to be clear. But over the course of the next years, I will hopefully be helping to unveil some of what was, what was considered okay and acceptable. I want to pull that apart for her and go, you know what, that may have been what was acceptable. That does not mean that it is acceptable. Those are very different things. So I have a responsibility to raise a woman who's not afraid to take care of herself, take care of her body and feel as safe as she can in the world. But I actually feel my greater responsibility, and I'm going to get teary just talking about it, is to raise a son who is better than that. Because if I don't raise my son to know what it means to have consent, to treat everyone's bodies with respect and with love, then I am not protecting my daughter. Absolutely. I mean, that is a Well said. I mean, I just want to applaud you because that is, I mean, you just can't overstate that. And I have one of each too. So this kind of hits me hard too, because I have to have this conversation with both of them and it doesn't look identical. And yet it looks similar because they both have to know what this exactly means, what it looks like, what are the questions to ask? What are the things that are okay to not ask, but to demand? (laughs) And I 
yeah, kudos to you. Well, and it starts young. I think that there's this old way of thinking about it. And I want to commend our society. I mean, I'm sure not all of our listeners are going to agree with a lot of what I have to say today. And, and I think that maybe just has to be okay. Um, well, it's going to happen in reverse other days. Right. So Exactly. Um, but I think that there's this antiquated way of thinking that this is something you talk to your teens about. And I could not disagree more. This starts at age two. You touched my body, and I didn't like the way that felt. It is okay to teach both my children, male and female, because let's not pretend this only happens to, to women. women. It happens to men, too. It is okay to teach my children from a very young age that their body is theirs, and it is no one else's. And so it doesn't start in the teens. It starts with what are you as a parent allowing, empowering, and encouraging from that young age so that as they get older, it's not shocking to them to say no. It's not shocking to them to set a boundary around their body because you know what? When they were two, you as the parent were encouraging them to do so. It just wasn't sexual at two, mm -hmm. but maybe it's sexual, mm -hmm. you know, at 16. Yeah, that's very true. It has to start really early. And I think, again, it's an evolving conversation. It's not a one-time event. And it's going to look different when they're four from when they're 14. But it it can't be skipped because it's really it's everywhere now i mean i was watching just today watching a video about how parents have to practice their i'm not shocked face and we do because if you've set up an environment where your kids talk to you at least once i guarantee it they're going to tell you something where inside you are stunned and you better win an Oscar for not showing it because otherwise they won't come to you again. And to me, this is one of those issues. It has to be a safe environment to talk about ask and ask, what does that even mean? What does that look like? Now, here's where other side of the coin. In our family, part of how that looks, and this might seem very, I don't even know the word for it, very traditional, but we talk with or plan to because this hasn't happened yet, as I admitted. But we will talk with young men who want to take Sienna out. They will hear from both Scott and I, and they're going to have a conversation with us about not only what we expect of their treatment of her, but what our expectations for, for him is. And that was terrible grammar, but I still stand by the <laughs> meaning of the sentence. I can't handle it. I'm such a word nerd. That didn't work for me. But point being that we're going to be, again, I'm not ashamed to insert myself in my kid's world. I think especially in the teen ages and teen years, parents might be a little reluctant because, oh, well, does that make me a helicopter? Or are they going to resist me hovering and then rebel? Be in their world. It actually is better for them. And you know what's interesting? They might never say it, but they actually want that. They want that. And so this is one of those issues where you can't afford to just take a back seat and hope for the best. Oh, goodness, no. Goodness, no. And I think that this is also, much like we talked about in the discipline episode, this is one of those topics where sometimes you are going to have to do what's hard, and that's going to suck. And you're going to have to be embarrassed, and you're going to have to put yourself out there in a way that feels gross, um, and that's going to feel really hard. And it's still the right thing to do. And I think that's where parents, and I'm guilty of this too. I mean, for all my opinions and all of my, you know, strong, clearly strong feelings about this, you know, there are times where it's blurry. And this is what, as a society, we're dealing with. We are struggling with the blur. And a lot of people on the left and a lot of feminists would say that 
Well, the blur only exists because of the original expectations, and I would actually agree. But the reality is we have some blur. And so there are times where how do we how do we pull that blur apart? And I think that blur actually starts when they're little. So for example, a child pins another child down. Okay, were they trying to hurt the child? Let's pretend they weren't. Let's pretend the intent it was playful, right? Okay. So it's it's much like we say about, you know, the feelings are okay, but the behavior is not. The intention is okay, but that doesn't change the fact that the behavior is not. And I think uh, I see a lot of parents, and again, I struggle with this myself, they, they really don't want to shame the child that's made, you know, that's pinned the other child down. They don't want to imply that the other child was trying to be hurtful. We're, we're in a season, which I love, of giving kids the benefit of the doubt, which I think is fantastic. But... That doesn't mean we throw out the part that wasn't okay. It is not okay for a child to pin another child down. It is not okay for a little child to touch another child in a way that makes the other child uncomfortable, even if the intention wasn't to do that. We can pull those things apart. And as parents, that is what I see as our responsibility. We must pull it apart so that we can speak to, I don't think that he was trying to hurt you, but I can tell it hurt you. And that's not okay. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. I was the reason I had the confused face is I was waiting for what you added which was if the person is uncomfortable with it cuz we did we had a lot of play wrestling in our house that was fine with both parties mm-hmm. and I do think that's what matters is it fine with both parties. One way we used to ask this when the kids were little was everyone having fun? Yeah, I love because that. if even one person wasn't, it's not fun. And that is important. And that's a concept even a little kid can understand cuz they know what it is to have fun and to be playing and but was everybody having fun? That changes the whole game. And it, it, this is why I like that you're a questioner, because I think this is one of the conversations in parenting where it's mostly done by asking questions. Even things like, what does dating mean to you? What do you think implies that? What are examples in your world? This is something I ask my kids now that they're older. What would you say is an example of a couple that you know with a healthy relationship? What's an example of a couple you know that's unhealthy and why? What do you think makes it unhealthy? What are the concerns that you would have? And how would you then make sure you don't bring that into when you're dating, right? So, and I want to be clear about what I said before about talking to young men, which hasn't ha- happened yet, but we are equal opportunity with that. So my son actually was hanging out with someone for a while and we told him before he could ever go on a date with her, he would go on a double date with us. And that was what we did. So again, be the parent be involved, be aware of what's going on. Don't leave yourself in the position where you're finding things out later and second and third hand, possibly things that are going to be really hurtful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in terms of some hows, I love what you said is everyone having fun. That is, I'm stealing that and pocketing that because it's so true. I mean, if you take that to the extreme of an assault situation, hello, I'm glad you were drunk and having a great time. Someone else in this situation was not having fun and therefore not okay. Um, So we did um, a lot of empowerment when they were small. It is okay to say you didn't like how that made you feel. It is okay to be vocal. And I would really force them to be vocal. I mean, you know, I love my assertiveness, Mm -hmm. right? So if there was a situation where someone got touched in a way that they didn't feel good, I would encourage them to say, that made me feel uncomfortable. You don't have to berate them, right? It's not about shaming or embarrassing. It's just, hey, that made my body uncomfortable. And I also fed that that concept of my body, my body, my body a lot to the point where one of my kids uses it sort of sometimes inappropriately. Like <laughs> when when they're trying to say like, I don't like how that makes me 
feel or I don't like the thought of that, they'll be like, that hurts my body. And I'm like, no. <laughs> not quite. That's not what I mean. Um, but I think teaching that, that, that you know, from a, from a psychological perspective, from a hypnotherapy perspective, the rep- repetitious, my body, my body, my body, my body, what are they learning? That's my body. That's not your body. That's my body. Um, So a lot of just standing up for yourself. That made my body feel uncomfortable. Please don't do that again. Not shying away from those situations that do feel intimidating and scary. Like, oh, my gosh, now I have to talk to this other mom. You know, I'm sorry, but your child, you know, pinned my child down and it made them uncomfortable. Can you what can we do to resolve this? Those are hard. Oh, such hard conversations to have, but so incredibly important. And then we also talked, and I know we talked about this on the safety episode, so I won't spend too much time on it, but we did not make them hug anyone. We did not make them kiss anyone. That is your body, and you get to decide, and you are the one who gives consent. You get to say yes or no about what happens to your body. So that's one another way you teach consent. No auntie, whoever, they don't have to give you a kiss. They get to decide if you kiss them. They get to give consent. And then the final thing I want to say about this is um, we've we've had a a little modeling issue. Um, And so it is also really important as parents that we are modeling good consent. So if – and this came up in my kid's class a couple months ago, and I loved what the teacher sent home. She sent home this little video about it. But if your kid doesn't like to be tickled, don't tickle them. Not everyone's having fun, to use what you said. And that is a great example of consent. If you tickle someone who doesn't like to be tickled and you keep tickling, nope, you're not teaching consent. You're teaching, actually, I'm in control of your body. Actually, your body's not your own. Same with uh, one of the, so one of the things that went sideways in our house is um, <laughs> Dave and I have always just kind of like smacked each other's bottoms. It's been a thing for years. Not hard, just playfully and lovingly. Mm-hmm. And so we would smack the kids' bottoms. And it came up one day that one of them didn't like it. And we had to shut that down because it was like, okay, you know what? You need consent to touch my bottom. Mm-hmm. You actually do. And boy, have our children jumped on that. Um, <laughs> They're on the bandwagon. They are on the bandwagon. Like, I did not give consent for you to touch my bottom. But as clunky as that is and as hard as it is for us because again the intention is loving right and we've been having to work really hard this is something we've been doing we've been together 17 years we've been smacking Mm -hmm. bottoms for 17 years so this is something we've really had to unravel but every single time you are right that's your body i should have asked for consent i am sorry because they have to get this message that no one not even their mom and dad gets to decide what's okay so I want to share a short story, and then I promise I'm going to shut up because I know I'm just really, really opinionated today. Um, we went to the doctor. Rhiannon was really sick. We went to a doctor locally here in town who's very well-respected, who's older, um, but very well-respected. And um, she was really sick, like flu, high, high, 105 fever, mm. just super sick. And everything hurt. Her whole body hurt. Like she didn't even want me to pick her up because it hurt so much for her skin to get touched. And we went in and the doctor looked in her ear with one of the little light things and he puts it in her ear and she starts to cry and says, ow, ow, ow. And he says to my daughter, that doesn't hurt. You're allowed to say you don't like it, but you're not allowed to say it doesn't hurt. And I nearly lost my ever loving mind. I was like, did you just put something in one of my daughter's orifices and tell her how it makes her feel that that doesn't hurt? Do you know how her body? I mean, I lost my mind. I was so angry. And these are the situations we have to look out for. 
It is really hard. You're in with a doctor. A doctor has authority. They're older. They're male. But my goodness, we have to stick up for our kids, not just so the doctor gets a clue. Like, hey, not okay, especially these days. But for my daughter to see, I'm not afraid to point out that that's not okay. That was not okay. That's your body, and you get to decide how it feels, not someone else. No one gets to tell you how you feel. Yeah, she got she got to see you protect her, which is so great. And I will say, I, I think for some faith-based families, the idea of my body is kind of hard. Oh, yeah. Because... Say more about yeah. that. Yeah. That's interesting. So I, I, I am careful with the vocabulary around that because we, at least for Christians, if you believe that you're created by God, your body has infinite value. So it's the same idea different reasoning, but you would never trash that. You wouldn't want to not take good care of that or let somebody else hurt it because you are God's creation. That is the highest. I mean, that is the utmost. So it's really interesting to me because I hear you saying that and it completely resonates with me, but for a different reason. Because I'm like, of course, like this is this is precious, and this is God's body essentially for yes, you, right? Yes, like God made this. Yes, mm-hmm. and so we even talk about that in terms of how we handle health, which I hope we'll do an episode on that someday. But just taking good care of the body that God created us in, this is awesome. So we're not gonna. This is how also so helpful for framing conversations about like drugs and alcohol, but also consent. Because is that taking care of your body if you just let whatever happen to it and let other people mistreat it too? Absolutely not. So it was really fun listening to you because I was like, I totally agree. It just it just would sound different or we'd phrase it differently. And I I think the other thing you said that struck me and I it's vulnerable, but I think people need to hear a personal story of this happening. I have never forgotten my first experience at the girl doctor because I now know, of course, these things did not, I'm not even shaming my parents, but these things literally really weren't talked about very much, even a generation ago. So I'm not, I, w- I wish they would have done it, but I'm not like faulting or shaming at all because I do think they were doing the best they could with what they had. But I now know and knew, I mean, decades ago, but not in the moment. I did not speak up and I had an uncomfortable experience And it really bothered me. And this doctor the whole time was just making small talk with me like it was no big deal. And I talked about this on the assertiveness episode that I didn't really have much of a backbone growing up. And so it was really hard for me to say no to things in the interest of am I going to be seen as not being nice? So I think another thing we have to be really careful about is it doesn't make you mean to stand up for safety, your health, what makes you uncomfortable, that doesn't make you mean. Because I think sometimes there's a disconnect there where we think those are not, they can't be mutually exclusive. It's like, oh, but if you're if you're this, you're also unkind or mean. Do you get what I'm saying? Oh, 100%. Because that's exactly what I was saying earlier about the blur. So the blur comes in situations just like that. Well, you didn't say anything. How am I supposed to know? Which is honestly not unreasonable right? Mm-hmm. It's not. You're not supposed to be a mm-hmm. mind reader. But we also come from a generation, a generation, a generation of women, especially being brought up to be nice. So how can you expect women who are taught 
if you ask for what you need, you're not being very kind. And boy, kindness is so important, blah, blah, blah. How can we expect those women in a situation to be vocal? We can't. So they're so interwoven, this concept of teaching consent and assertiveness. Mm -hmm. We must, must, must teach our children, especially our girls. I hate to say it, but it's true. Especially our girls. It's okay to stand up for yourself. It doesn't make you mean. It makes you safe. Mm -hmm. It makes you strong. It makes you capable, right? And if we're continuing to always teach strong, firm, that that's how you assert yourself, then they, this next generation of women are going to be so much more empowered to say, hey, at their doctor appointment, mm -hmm. hey, I'm uncomfortable and that's going to be okay. But we can't do that until we start to break down. I told you it was going to get all liberal today. Um, until we start to break down some of these gender biases that exist, that this is how a woman is supposed to act. Oh, for sure. I mean, I now see it over and over. But I even remember thinking I was just going to meet the doctor. It was like a meet and greet. <gasps> and I got a gynecological exam <laughs> and was not expecting that. And didn't put a stop to it. Now, I did never go back to that doctor. And as soon as I was in the car with my mom, I spoke up to her. And I'm very thankful for that. And again, this is why I say, insert yourself. That's not being a helicopter. That's being a good parent. Because I was able to tell her. And I think if we had a different relationship, I probably wouldn't have. And it also taught me that, at least for me, it's not a good fit to have a male gynecologist. I wanted to go to a woman, and I did from then on. Mm -hmm. So that was great. I learned some things from it. But it would have been great if I could have learned that without having that unfortunate experience at all mm -hmm. and knowing how to handle it or get out of it in the moment. And I was just so flabbergasted that this was even happening. And again, wanting to also not be a jerk because that's what I'm thinking. So I love what you said. You can't listeners seriously pay attention to what Kira just said so it's a lot about ad adjectives so talking about when you're standing up for yourself that you're capable that you're strong that you're assertive it doesn't mean you're a jerk or you're mean I mean see what I was doing I was like name calling to myself well that'll make you a jerk if you say something so we've got to really do well to stop that I might have gone pretty far with this I mean my daughter is she is spicy. The, you know, that comes with its own challenges is all I'm saying. So there's good and important conversations you have to be having, questions you need to be asking, but just don't equate that with being mean. That's all I'm, no, I have to say. I, I like spicy. I honestly hope that, I mean, I'm spicy, so maybe I'm biased. But I think there's another piece here that's worth mentioning that's complicated. And again, this whole topic is complicated, not the least of which is because we as the generation of women who were still being taught this stuff are unraveling our mm -hmm. own bullshit, right? Mm -hmm. So the other piece that's really interesting is how kids bring together the messages that they receive from us. So great example. Um, there was a season recently due to some things in the news um, that brought up conversations of consent in our home and brought up conversations of assault in our home. And um, one of the things I said to Rhiannon, you know, was if if you're at school, for example, and anyone tries to touch you inappropriately, you know, don't forget, you can bite, you can kick, you can punch, you can do whatever you have to do to keep your body safe. And she went mental. She was like, those are against the school rules. I can't break the school rules. We use gentle touch at school. We, you know, and she started listing all these things. And that is tricky because 
we are sending, this is the thing I love about our generation of parents. I see the most amazing parenting out there. People are teaching love and kindness and giving kids the benefit of the doubt. And oh my gosh, it's so amazing. And how do we marry that? with actually sometimes it's okay to punch the shit out of someone like that's a crazy thing to try and get a seven-year-old to understand and I'm not saying I have a perfect answer for that (laughs) listeners I apologize I don't but I do think it's about conversation 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 so in that particular situation we asked her because she just wouldn't listen to me she's like you're not the principal you're not the teacher you know you don't know and so I said well who do you need to hear it from and she said the principal And I said, okay. And I wrote to the principal. And luckily, we have the kind of school, and I appreciate not everyone's going to have this, but we have the kind of school and the amazing principal. I wrote to the principal. I said, here's the situation. This is the conversation that came up. This is what was said. She will not listen to me. Would you be willing to meet with her? And this principal took an hour out of her day to meet with my daughter, to help her understand the nuanced difference between Mm -hmm. the two, met with the recess teacher her personal teacher, everyone that she comes in contact with so that she could hear from all the adults in her life at school that this particular situation is one where you get to break all those rules. This is different. And so I think it's that advocacy piece as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I've mentioned it from other stories. We have to advocate, advocate, advocate. That's how you send this message. You send it with your own modeling. How do I engage with my children and make sure I am waiting for consent when I touch them or tickle them? How do I then have that conversation in front of them with other people so they're watching me advocate for them? And how do I set them up for scenarios like with the principal so that they're hearing it from other adults, not just me? Yeah, and it was great that you asked who it would matter from. Whose voice will make you say, okay? Because I don't I don't think we would necessarily think of that right away. That was really genius because sometimes they do need to hear it from somewhere else. And it is okay to teach about the hierarchy. Sometimes it's okay to break this rule because this other rule that's getting broken is way not fine. And we've just got to put a stop to that no matter what. And it is okay to defend yourself. I mean, that's that's okay. So, but that is really tricky, especially for younger kids, because they they can't sit very well with gray. It's very black and white. Well, that's not allowed. So I can't do that just because something else that's not allowed is happening, because then there's two not allowed. That's not okay, right? So, and even even if you think of the cliche that two wrongs don't make a right, they're going to get extra confused. Like, well, now I'm doing something wrong. How did that help? (laughs) So that's a great idea. You can find out other people in their world that might be able to convey it or explain it in the context because that was somebody from the school. And the context of the school was what was tricky for her because there, that's the rules. You know, it might have been fine for her to bite somebody who was being mean to her in the cul-de-sac. She might not have had that same tricky. So we've got to pay attention to their different environments too and different contexts where they might have to take a minute to get their mind wrapped around it, if that makes sense, because what's one thing in the neighborhood might not be the same at school or at sports practice or whatever. So get other adults involved. I've always loved having multiple adults speaking the same thing into my kids' lives. It's one of my favorite things about building a good community. So as we wrap up, rather than a quote today, and I think I've actually mentioned a few of these, but shout out to our friend Alyssa, who is also, she's a student advocate and just does wonders helping teens navigate even things like dating violence or when they're uncomfortable. She's just great at what she does. But she sent us over this great list of questions. And I've mentioned a few of them just as we're talking because they're things I've asked Sienna and Mark. But I wanted to leave our listeners with just some conversation starter ideas that that she sent our way. So they're fantastic. So I know I've mentioned a few of these, but what does dating mean to you? Does anyone you know date? That's happening younger and younger. I mean, middle school easily. 
If not, what do they call it? Be asking about terminology. This helps you be such an informed parent. I always ask what it's called. Is it a thing? Are they dating? Because nobody goes steady anymore, guys. All right. Yeah, and what does it's lit mean? <laughs> right. Can we just, can someone write in? Well, it depends. <laughs> can someone I, I'll please, help you with that please offline. Please write in and tell me what it's lit means. My, I don't get it. My favorite is that a recent, although not totally current and on trend, a recent word for something being cool was dank. And I'm like, that is a no. damp, moldy basement. <laughs> I don't get that. So definitely ask about the terminology. What do people call it when they're dating? And then I talked about this. Choose a couple you know that's healthy. Choose one that's not. And and pick. I would pick that apart even more than these questions. Like, then what makes it healthy or unhealthy? Let's talk about that. And then this is the real clincher. What should you do if someone you're dating or not dating, by the way, this can happen just among acquaintances, threatens you? What if someone you're dating tells you to keep quiet and not tell anyone? What if someone hurts you, makes your body uncomfortable? I mean, we could add 47 questions to this. Point being, it's not one conversation like we've said before. And I would err on the side of asking questions. Invite them to share with you rather than just saying, here's what it looks like. Here's what it is. Don't let it be a lecture. Let it be a dialogue and not a monologue. Yeah, I could take a I could take a leaf out of that book. I, as you may have been able but to tell, but you ask a ton of I questions. I do. I ask a ton of questions, but on this particular topic, I am a little bit feisty, feisty, and they see that. They see how I get ruffled when I talk about it because it, I just think it's it's so important. And I think we are in just a, such an interesting time, a tipping point on this topic. I I have faith that my daughter is going to have a different experience than I had. I had a different experience than my mom. And I look forward to seeing that. Well, and I think people who are in their 30s and 40s were in a unique generation where we were raised being possibly taught something different or at least modeled something different. And yet we're in, we're working to parent in a way that really matches where we are and what our kids need to know. And I think it's similar to how we're kind of this first and only really generation that's also doing that with technology. We grew up without it, but we're parenting with it. So we're in this tough middle. So it's also OK to say, guys, this is really hard. Because it's not necessarily what we were taught. And I can't say that for everybody. I'm sure some of you had amazing conversations around this. But not everyone did. And so you're literally parenting into uncharted territory. So it's okay to embrace the heart of that. But do go in and embrace it and take action. Absolutely. So if you have some thoughts on this episode um, and want to write in, we'd love to hear from you. It's info at futurefocusedparenting.com. If you have questions, we also love to hear those. And if you haven't liked us on Facebook, followed us on Instagram, if you haven't rated and reviewed the podcast, please, oh, please, we beg of you. It's just been so amazing to see all that start to take off. Um, the ratings and reviews especially are just so awesome. We do literally get excited about those. We do, definitely. Yeah, we'll text each other when we see new, review. new ones come up. Um, so do, do make sure to do that. And thank you for listening. Thank you for putting up with my very strong opinions. And for those of you that maybe lean more conservative for listening to my liberal rant today. I promise to be back next week with something more tame. <laughs> Raising Adults is produced by Kira Dorian and Dina Thayer and recorded in my laundry room. Music by Seattle band Hannah Lee. Thanks for listening.